the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter. I'm Ian Collins. Today we're recording episode 13, How Time Flies, when you're attempting to right the wrongs of various governments and eco-dodging multinational conglomerates. If you don't know the drill, this series is all about the views, campaigns and inner thoughts of one man. Dale Vince is an entrepreneur and an environmentalist. His success was built in the green energy sector, the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first energy company. He also happens to be the chairman as well of Forest Green Rovers, the world's first vegan football team. On each episode, we'll be bringing you the latest salient issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, and that is, of course, the environment and climate change. And here's the thing, Dale. When we started doing this, I mentioned 13 episodes ago. Uh, this whole coronavirus pandemic, of course, was was nowhere to be seen. We, 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 I think we, there have been echoes of it somewhere, but we didn't really know much about it, and it certainly wasn't on, on, on British soil at that point. But th- this has changed. The, the agenda we look at on each episode here is now almost constantly being informed in various ways by issues related to coronavirus. Yeah, you're right. It's all about the virus lately, um, and the intersection really, uh, for me, between uh, you know the impact of the virus, how it's changed how we live and our outlook and what we think of as possible in respect of climate change which is a bigger crisis it's been in the background for you know 20 30 years and and we've probably got 10 years in which to act so it's a less immediate crisis than the virus but the virus shows us just what we can do as a country when we all come together and we chuck previously unimaginable sums of money at it and we make previously unimaginable changes to our lifestyles just to stay alive uh, so let's start with oil then uh, dale uh, an interesting story almost buried away oil debts included in the the covid stimulus package what's going on here yeah, I had a quick read of that this morning, and the uh, Bank of England are buying bonds from uh, all kinds of uh, big companies in order to keep them going through the crisis. And they've uh, they've spent about 300 million out of 10 billion in total buying uh, energy company uh, as an extractive industry like oil company uh, bu- uh, debt bonds to keep them going. So it's not like a massive sum of money in the scheme of the 10 uh, billion, but. Um, but it's the Bank of England spending public money supporting fossil fuels when we're supposed to be driving towards becoming a zero carbon country. Have you ever got to the bottom of what is, um, when people talk about fossil fuels, you look at what is going on in not just our own country, around the world, and there are many areas where they're accelerating uh, fossil fuel usage, etc., and huge business plans and companies whose business models are based on almost entirely on fossil fuels, and they often have a bit of bump in the nice glossy brochure telling you differently. But when you drill a little deeper, no pun, you discover that, that that's precisely what the, the the core of their business model still is. What is it they don't know, or what is it you don't know about this? Are they willing to take it on board just not yet, or are they just seeing something that's too darn attractive to ignore? 
Yeah, I think it's a lot like the airline industry. We talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, you know, people like Heathrow, they say, look, we get the climate crisis. We know we need to do something. But in the meantime, let's just build a third runway and we'll do something about it in the future. It's kind of business as usual right now because they're making money. And oil companies, energy companies are just the same. My favorite story, though, of this week uh, comes from Carbon Brief. They did an analysis of oil consumption during the crisis. They projected forward for the end of 2019. And they're projecting the biggest annual fall in carbon emissions globally ever in history wow. as a result of this uh, crisis, which I think is a really big deal. So they're projecting 5.5% uh, drop in carbon emissions. And when you see it that way, it doesn't look so big. And then when you look at what we need to be doing to get to being zero carbon, we need a 7.6% reduction every year for 10 years. And suddenly it doesn't look big at all. Hmm. And all of this... Um, a hardship in terms of the way we're living and all of that kind of stuff. Looks like it's only two-thirds enough. But at the root of this big reduction in carbon emissions, of course, is the enormous drop in consumption of oil. And so to fight the climate change, we don't have to uh, double down on the lockdown, as it were. We just have to replace oil in our energy mix, all fossil fuels, in fact, replace them with renewable energy, electrify transport, drive that with renewable energy, stop eating animals and eat plants. And it's job done. So when I saw the story, I thought, wow, fantastic, huge drop. Then I thought, oh, my God, it's only 5% is not enough. And look how hard it is. And then I realized that's because it's all based on measuring the fall in consumption of oil. And we just need to do away with the stuff. Gotcha. If it is only 5%, I mean, it'd be interesting to see the sort of pie chart on that, wouldn't it, as to how that's made up? Because one has to reasonably assume cars are clearly a massive uh, part of this. But if it's only 5%, then there is still some crimes going on in that respect to the tune of 95%. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but they found the drop was bigger than the financial crash of, uh, of the noughties. It was bigger than the oil crisis of the 80s, bigger than the Second World War, in fact, and bigger than the Spanish flu impact on global emissions, just the biggest ever since really the Industrial Revolution got started. So it's a big deal. But as you say, there's still 95% of it going on somewhere. That's incredible. And that would, one assume, be coming from industry? Yeah, it would have been pre the uh, lockdown, of course, because it's a, it's a whole year picture, it, pre the lockdown and post the lockdown. So that they've done some forecasting for what will come, you know, maybe at the back end of the summer or something like that, when consumption returns uh, towards normal levels. So, you know, right now we're in lockdown and emissions will be far lower than 95% of normal. But the whole year, that's how they're saying it will outturn. Yeah. So, so now you need somebody in power to say, look at this, look at this reduction. This is clearly significant. If we carried this on through in a few other factors that you alluded to, this is the direction of travel. Get this going for a few years. And as you use the phrase job done um, right now, somebody from Boris Johnson's team needs to be saying that. Are you hopeful you're about to hear an environment minister anytime soon jump up and echo exactly what you just said? Look, I live in hope. That's how I live. And, you know, there's a lot of sentiment in the country that we can't let things get back to normal. I don't think we can take it as a given that they won't get back to normal. I think we've all got to work hard, lobby hard for, for that to happen. But we can see what's possible. And I think it's really important because on the other side of the crisis, um, when we were talking about fighting climate change, the climate crisis, um, an excuse or an argument you would often hear would be that um, we can't afford it. The, the virus crisis shows us that we can and uh, actually the changes to our lifestyles are too big we're being asked to give up too much some people go to the extremes of saying we're having to go back to medieval times and stuff like that that's actually wrong and when you look at what we need to do 
we don't need to give up energy. We need to use a different form of it, renewable energy. We don't need to give up transport. We just need to electrify it to make it clean. And we don't need to give up eating. We just mm. need to stop eating animals and eat plants. So it's just a different way to live. It's not not living. And I think that's a really powerful and empowering message for people. We can fight the climate change. We've got enough money. We've got the willpower. We've got the technology. We just have to change how we live. Speaking of changing how we live and what we eat, uh, someone's having a, a vague pop at you here, uh, Dale. Uh, you're sure. <laughs> Shoulders abroad, you can take this. Sam on Facebook yeah, says, uh, what's your problem with Burger King plant-based burger? They never said it was vegan, so why kick up such a noise? Oh, well, I don't think it was a big noise. I don't have that many followers. Uh, but I was just pointing out, really, that the ASA have ruled that their adverts were misleading. They launched in Veganuary with a, an endorsement from the head of that organization, and uh, they presented it in a way, according to the ASA, and I agree with them, that it was it was easy to mistake as a vegan burger um, because they said it was 100% plant-based, no, no meat and all that kind of stuff, but it had mayonnaise in it uh, with eggs, and it was cooked alongside beef burgers, so it was contaminated yeah. by beef fat. And, you know, to some people that matters, and to some people it doesn't, I get that, but I was just flagging it up. You know, I think it was a real shame because Burger King having a vegan burger would be fantastic, and they had the opportunity to do it properly, use Veganuary to launch that. It would have been awesome, but, you know, but they failed. Uh, they failed miserably because they could have had vegan mayonnaise. That's easy to find. And they could have just cooked them separately or cleaned the middle. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at this. Uh, I, I'm no archdeacon of the burger, and nor, and this might surprise you, nor have I ever run a multi-billion-pound burger chain, Dale. But even I looked at this and thought, at what point did somebody think cooking a, let's say, a vegetarian burger or a vegan burger, a non-meat burger on the same griddle as meat burgers was okay? Yeah, you haven't got to have a PhD in science, veganism. <laughs> food or anything of the sort to know that that's probably not a good idea no that's right and i just think it's a shame that they didn't do it properly what made them think that they could almost do it and that would be good enough <laughs> i think it's a, you know, it's a mistake yeah, but somebody went into a boardroom at some point and they talked about this they obviously someone said okay, great idea yeah it's fantastic let's do some of this uh you you might imagine somebody around the table would have put their hand up saying i can spot two flaws in this but don't worry they're easily addressable uh <laughs> did nobody say that at the meeting and if they didn't the person responsible for saying that kind of thing should really be reconsidering their um, position in the food world in the 21st century you might think we can be sure that burger king knew this was a problem because in the small print of their adverts they flagged it up that there was egg in the mayonnaise and the burgers were cooked alongside me yeah uh, so they knew the problem that's just lazy isn't it didn't deal with it that's just lazy. Um, here's one from Beth. He says, I've been a customer uh, of Ecotricity for years. Just got solar panels. When are you announcing your fit replacement? You'll, you'll have to put some, some meat on the bones of the question, if you can, to start with, Dale. Yeah, um, Conservative government ended the feed-in tariff scheme, uh, the fit scheme, as it's called, uh, for, for solar and, and wind and all sorts of stuff uh, a few years ago. And uh, what's coming to replace it is something called the SEG. I love the acronyms in our industry. It's SEG, Smart Export Guarantee, whereby uh, companies like us will pay for the export from a solar system that has a smart meter and that measures the energy that goes in the grid. Uh, under the FIT system, you didn't have to measure it. It was, it was deemed and uh, it's all kinds of technically complicated and not quite right. But with smart meters, uh, it can be measured and it can be paid for. So we don't have an official 
SEG tariff right now, but what we're doing is we're paying our customers that have solar that is exporting on the grid through a smart meter, we're paying them anyway at the rate of the tariff that's coming soon. We've been busy on some other stuff. Uh, we have to change uh, stuff and, and build within our systems to deliver it properly, like on somebody's energy bill. But what we're doing is we're setting up a, a spreadsheet for customers to register that they've got one to send us their meter reads and we'll pay them until we get the tariff set up. Good work. Uh, this from Liz. My sister recommended your podcast to me. I've now joined Ecotricity. Uh, do you think green energy will get cheaper? Where, where does it sit? Just remind us where it sits kind of on the scale, if you would. For those who don't know, um, if you're going conventional or green, what are the differences and will the latter get cheaper? I think it's awesome that people are joining us this way. That's fab. I just want to say that first. Renewable energy is wind in particular, uh, solar very close behind it, is the cheapest form of new energy that we can build in the world. And it's an important distinction because existing uh, power stations have paid down their capital costs, some of them many years ago, and they've paid it down completely. And so they're now operating uh, on a cost of fuel basis. When you build something new, whether it's a nuclear coal power station or, or a wind farm, you take on debt and then you pay down that debt maybe over a period of 10 or 15 years, maybe 50 with a nuclear power station. And that's part of your cost. So you have to compare apples with apples in terms of building new forms of generation. Renewables is the cheapest globally, that's a fact. Which is great news because it's renewables that we need to be building in order to get to 100% and fight climate change. Yeah. If you try to compare uh, new renewables to existing gas, for example, which I think is one of the cheapest forms of fossil fuel power, then it gets much more difficult. And also, the subsidies of fossil fuels versus renewables are unbalanced. So we spend twice as much subsidizing fossil fuels in our country as we do renewable energy. So the playing field isn't level either. Hmm. Um, but this is all changing. I think that we will see the balance of subsidies change. We do need to impose the external costs on fossil fuels uh, through carbon taxes and stuff like that. At the moment, green energy pays a carbon tax in our country, which is crazy. We have Cameron to thank for that. Uh, I think that will change. And, and then new renewables will be cheaper than existing fossil fuels. That day will come, I think, in two or three years' time. And final one from Verin, who says, I live in South London. Can I buy your Devil's Kitchen products in the shops yet? Um, again, for the uninitiated, Dale, explain the Devil's Kitchen range to us. Yeah, something we started uh, maybe a couple of years ago now, spun off from Forest Green and, and our plant-based uh, food there. We started a venture to make vegan school dinners for primary schools uh, seemed like a really worthwhile thing to do you know school dinners needed some uh, attention let's say and uh, you know feeding young kids with with good healthy food like this is a, is a really worthwhile thing to do so we began making burgers and balls for kids uh, at a little factory that we built in Stroud powered by the wind and the sun we make uh, food that's free of all the 14 major food allergens so it's inclusive uh, everybody can eat it uh, super tasty and stuff like that and anyway we quickly found interest in the whole education sector all the way up to universities then it was public events football clubs theme parks uh, and now hospitals in fact as well and um, we were pre the crisis looking at retail seeing how, how can we get into supermarkets and online retail and i think that will come probably in the autumn so the short answer is no there's no way you can buy it from right now um, but we're working on it Okay, and before we go, uh, we would be failing, of course, uh, Dale. We're getting a lot of response on the Trump clips that we're playing. We even had a couple of sort of pro-Trumpers send me some abuse online as well on this. 
defending the mighty uh, orange one. But um, he had another cracking moment because every now and again, if he's called out, of course, he uh, will suggest that everybody else is wrong, even in the face of overwhelming evidence. And this was another classic case where a journalist who'd done her homework uh, was attempting to put some points to Donald Trump where he was clearly wrong on something and he was having none of it. Every Democrat thought I made a mistake when I did it. I saved tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives by her. The argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals. You didn't use it to ramp up testing. You're so disgraceful. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. Let me just, listen, I just went over it. I just went over it. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it... But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know the we month did? of February. That, you know what we did? Gap. What, do you do, February. what do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when you, you, Excuse me. You reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January 17th. January. February. The entire January. I said in January. Your video has a complete gap. On January 30th. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban bought A lot. What? A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. It we did a lot. Look, look. You know you're a fake. You know that your whole network, the way you cover it, is fake. And most of you, and not all of you, but the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower, a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. It's a very grumpy man, Dale, isn't he? I mean, everything is, if you don't like it, it's fake. If you disagree with it, it's just fake. It's kind of now become a catch-all phrase to throw in on being called out or doing something that somebody happens to disagree with. Sometimes I think of it as a shadow projection, this uh, psychological term for people that uh, call out uh, let's say flaws in other people uh, that actually they have themselves. They see in other people their own uh, their own shortcomings. So you know, when Trump says fake news, it's like, oh my God, you know, this is the man that uh, probably created fake news. He's certainly the king of fake news. Um, there was a report from uh, a media organization in America this week. They've been tallying up the lies and the misinformation of his presidency. And, and it runs to over 10,000 cases. He's running about 25 lies or deceits every day of his presidency. Wow. He's the king of fake news. It's That's, amazing yeah. to me that he uses that term against other people. But you're right. It, it's the reverse psychology thing, isn't it? You, you just say the very opposite to actually what is happening. And um, you'd think it, people would see through it. But his, 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 fan, his approval ratings at the moment over the coronavirus... Uh, issue are, are kind of through the roof and I'm struggling on that but maybe you just play to your gallery and whatever you do they will never see the wrong he does that but they were his proof ratings were high now they've fallen they're back to pre-virus levels and he's worried this is why he's getting angry because the virus is something that he can't control he can't shout it down on Twitter that's not working uh, it's worked for everything else uh, that yeah. he's faced and uh, it threatens his re-election I think that's very clear I think it would be super ironic if Trump is affected by the virus in this way not that he catches it and dies but it kills his presidency that would be great good way to look at it dale thank you that's it for this episode don't forget of course you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider so you'll get each new episode automatically do make sure you leave a review as well really crucial bit do follow dale on social media very simply twitter.com slash dale vince facebook.com slash dale vince and we'll speak to you on the next episode zero carbon east off